This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, I'm Sarah Bivens. And I'm Matthew Bivens. And this is the Doing It at Home podcast, the only podcast dedicated to empowering, loving, and honest conversations around home birth. What started as a fun way for us to document our own home birth journey has turned into a platform for sharing birth stories, resources, and education with the goal of empowering mamas and families to make the birth decisions that work best for them. Plus, we get into the antics, breakdowns, and breakthroughs of our own experience of marriage and parenthood. All right. You ready, babe? Yep. Let's do it, mama. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Doing It at Home podcast. Wow. We are 240 plus episodes into this whole thing, and it's just really wild and really exciting. And we're just so grateful for you, listener, for the whole community, whatever capacity you've been involved in up until this point. If you've listened since the very first episode when we first launched, if you came in a little bit later and you binged, or if this is your first episode, thank you, thank you, thank you. We appreciate you so much. Remember, you can listen to the show, Doing It At Home, along with other amazing shows, all ranging on topics of parenting, pregnancy, birth, and beyond, really the full spectrum of the journey to parenthood and beyond with the Parents On Demand app. So make sure you download it on your iOS or Android device. You can listen to our show, all the other shows, keep in touch, uh, stay up to date with all of the episodes because everything is posted in there. So make sure you do that. Go to parentsondemand.com or click the link that'll be in the show notes here for you. And also make sure you're connected to us. Make sure you are subscribed to the show. If you drop a review in there in Apple Podcasts, we greatly appreciate you. It helps get the show out there and more people listening to it, which is of course what we want. So thank you for that. If you take the time to do that, we'll probably read some here shortly when we do a, another episode coming up with me and Matthew, the two of us. That'll be cool. So we'll do that. And follow us on all of our accounts, Instagram, Facebook. We have a private Facebook page for the community. Um, note on that, if you request to be a part of the group, answer the questions because there are qualifying questions because um, Facebook is what it is. And we get a lot of random requests sometimes. And I don't know who you are or where this and that. But if you just answer those questions and answer them with a second of thought, we'll know you're a real human and that you want to be a part of the group and you've probably listened to the show and that that's a great place for you. Uh, we're trying to keep people out that don't necessarily want to be a part of the group or whatever, robots, all that stuff. Anyway, 
So there you have it. And any and all references in episodes or, you know, links that we share with you will be in the show notes um, there for you as well, the description. Okay. Today we have a really cool interview for you. We're chatting with Ashley Mariani. She is a clinical social worker and psychotherapist who, and she specializes in perinatal mental health and couples, and she's out of Ontario, Canada. So that's cool for a number of reasons, her profession and where she's at, because we get multiple perspectives on different things. And mainly what we talk about is being trauma-informed or trauma literate, if you will, it's another term for it, as a birth worker. So this is a great one to listen to if you are a birth worker, it's amazing. And then also from the birthing parent or family perspective uh, to hear about just how important it is that birth workers are trauma-informed and how we can create inclusive, safe environments for birthing parents and families to really have the best outcome possible. And, you know, Ashley brings her perspective as a clinical social worker, as a psychotherapist. And then we get into a little bit of uh, differences and conversations on some trends and patterns and things that she sees in Canada versus U.S. as far as just the birthing world and birthing culture. We talk about how as a birthing parent, as a family, you can kind of date quote unquote, your care provider to really make sure that it's the best relationship and the best fit that's really going to serve everyone involved. And then Ashley shares some of her own personal story and journey with us, which is really cool. The birth of her son, Silas. And then we also talk about her future plans for birth and what's kind of influenced that and why. So it's a really robust, awesome conversation. You know, the topic of mental health and wellness in the birth world is so huge. And so I'm just very grateful grateful to Ashley for bringing her perspective and for us, you know, able to share it with you. So quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll dive right in. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouthwatering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, Ashley. Welcome to the Doing It at Home podcast. How are you? I'm good, Sarah. How are you? I'm awesome. Thank you. I'm really excited to be chatting with you today um, for a number of reasons. We've had really great connection, and I love the world of turning social media connection or community into in real life conversation and ability to collaborate. So I think this is an example of that. <laughs> Totally. And I don't think if it if it weren't for social media, people like you and I would have never had the chance to collaborate. So it does bring all of these extremely amazing silver linings. Mm-hmm. So can you share with the audience, with listeners, just a little bit about you, what you do, where you live, your family? 
Yeah. So uh, my name is Ashley Mariani. I am a clinical social worker out of Ontario, Canada. So we are living in Ontario, Canada. Um, we live in a very rural area that is actually growing quite quickly. Um, lots of new um, hospitals coming up everywhere. So this like culture of birth and conversations around birth in the area that I'm in is being welcomed, which is so amazing. Um, and my niche is uh, perinatal mental health and couples therapies, particularly working with couples after baby to um, find themselves again or for the first time to find each other differently uh, and explore their intimacy a little bit differently too. Oh, oh, that's beautiful. I feel like you are <laughs> speaking on all the vibes and frequencies of everyone listening right now and you have everyone's attention. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's definitely a very um, interesting niche to work in because there are so many layers. Uh, and I always talk about how some sex therapists don't really have an understanding of perinatal um, mood and anxiety disorders and how some couples therapists don't really have understanding of what happens. Uh, and intimacy or uh, sex. I don't want. I don't want to say sex therapy because I'm mm -hmm. not a sex therapist, but working in the con context of sex within therapy. So it's really nice. I feel to have this bridge of services come together and realize that it's a system and it's not compartmentalized. Yes, yes, and you bring up a great point. You know of whether it's training, licensing, education. You know whatever you put on that in certain areas, how it. It might not include all aspects of that experience or, you know, so just just to from the perspective of informing yourself and having the conversations with whatever kind of care provider you're choosing to align with that it's going to meet your your specific needs. Right. Whether that is an OBGYN or a midwife or a therapist or or what have you. Um, it, that, that's an interesting thing. Right. You might be a specialist in one area, but you might not be in other areas. Like I think about when I became pregnant, had a baby, and then I thought about fitness totally differently, you know, and that's just one yeah. area, but how so many, you know, personal trainers might not be coming from the awareness or the speciality of working with a postpartum mother. That's a completely different ball game. Um, so just, totally. I, I love that you bring up that point. And, you know, I think when we educate ourselves further, um, we don't have to rely then on care providers to know all the things in that one area. Um, and then we can find the ones that can serve us in, in all of our, check all the boxes, you know? Yeah. And you had, there's a post that you have about um, being the CEO of your body. Mm. And that's kind of like a mantra that I run with in that, you know, you, when it comes to really any professional, you shouldn't need them all of the time. Mm. And so even with therapists, like my goal is to get clients out of therapy. And that doesn't mean that they're not going to revisit therapy later on in life, maybe with a different concern, but I want to empower them with the tools that they need to move forward in life and not need me, not become codependent on me. Um, and I will also hope that they would be doing that in general physical health as well. Like, matching up with um, a primary care provider that empowers them to, you know, research using different tools that are reliable tools for research, um, 
tapping into their somatic experiences, understanding what's coming up for them in their body and, and kind of teaching them how to follow their intuition in their gut. We don't want to like put all of these professionals up on pedestals. We want them there to tap into their education and knowledge, but we also want, I want anyways, clients to walk away saying like, you know what, that information might've fit for somebody else, but I know my body and that's not really accurate for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so you're a mother as well, right? So you bring that to the table too with, with how you, approach, I'm sure, your your methodology and how you connect with, with clients and, and just in general, you know, your messaging on social media, which I love, by the way, I'm going to put links to everything <laughs> and all the ways for people to connect with you because that's where I first found you and I just really resonated with a lot of what you shared there. Um, but yes, your your own experience of motherhood has to play a role in, in how you show up to these things. Yeah. And and I always say just because somebody doesn't have a kid doesn't mean that they can't do really amazing work with new families. Yes. I wholeheartedly agree. There is something to be said about those moments where you just kind of connect with the professional you're sitting across from, you know, when you say something like, Oh, my three-year-old just had the biggest tantrum this morning for, you know, or, or, you know, threw an apple at me because I asked them to brush their teeth. Wait, are and you then... talking about our session that we had earlier today? Because that almost <laughs> literally <laughs> happened in my house this morning. <laughs> it might have happened in my yes. house. But... <laughs> but it's like, it's those situations that's kind of like, oh, okay, this person totally understands where I'm yeah. coming from and doesn't judge me for, you know, maybe I did yell at my kid and I feel safe enough to say, you know what? I had a moment this morning. I kind of lost my cool a little bit. I apologize to my kid, but like, please don't judge me. And maybe the professional will have that experience with a similar age child, whether it's currently or in the past to say, that's totally normal. You're not a bad mom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. That like, I'm here with you. I get it. I see you. Like that that seen and understood thing I I think is huge in in all of the points of the spectrum of the experience of motherhood, you know, that journey Um, and parenthood really. So one thing, Ashley, that we talked about when we had an offline conversation and we first connected that I thought would be really powerful to get into here in this space, in this community was your your perspective on the importance or the opportunities that birth workers have to be really informed and really bring to the table the, the best that they can to serve their clients and specifically from aspects of, you know, mental health and wellness, um, that there are a lot of components to the experience of birth and moving into early parenthood and postpartum and just how if birth workers were empowered themselves to hold that space that we could see I don't know exactly what the the result how you would word it but maybe maybe better results maybe um you know however you want to put that but, but we could see more benefits for mom for baby for the, you know their extended family units as a result of the birth workers really being informed. And I don't even know if this is a term, but this kind of what I heard when we had that conversation was kind of trauma literate. Um, Again, I don't know if that's a term, but that's kind of what I heard that by being trauma literate, trauma competent in terms of how you work with your clients with these birthing parents, um, that it can make a really big difference. So that I wanted to get some of your perspective on that. 
Yeah. And sometimes we'll say trauma informed. Okay. That makes Um, sense. But I, yeah, but I think it's more, I mean, being trauma informed is extremely uh, important. Um, Extremely, extremely important because you never know, you can't just assume what your clients are bringing with them when they come to see you. Right. Mm -hmm. So no matter what type of birth worker you are, you've probably taken the time to meet your families ahead of time um, and had these, conversations with them to kind of understand what their goals are and how to move forward. But it's, it's also super important to do everything you can to allow them to feel safe. Mm -hmm. So being um, inclusive and um, accessible are two words that I always uh, bring up in conversations with birth workers. And I think that we still think of birth from a very um, medical place um, and that not, that's not necessarily a good or bad thing. Mm-hmm. However, it does inform how we move with our clients. So um, we have to acknowledge the fact that, you know, in hospitals there, it, it's so busy and there are people coming and going constantly and people need either emergency assistance or um, maybe not. And so their circumstances are so different. And the time with each patient looks really speedy and quick. Um, But when you move away from that environment, you have the opportunity to sit down and spend much more time with your patients, with your clients to understand who they are and what they need from you. And I think that's really important. So asking them questions around, um, even something as simple as, you know, use of pronouns and um, what names they would like to, to be referred to as if you're in the medical community. And, you know, for us here in Canada, we have, you know, our health cards that, I mean, I don't know what, what health cards that you use in the States look like, but our health cards have a lot of information on them that are yes, legal information, but they might not be accurate to how we feel. Mm, and mm-hmm. so, um, or how we move through life and identify. Right. So it's extremely important to um, have that conversation with your patients, with your clients around what they want, regardless of what the paperwork says. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And so I think this is a useful educational tool and conversation to be having for the listener who might be a birth worker themselves who listens to the show and is a part of the community. Also useful Mm -hmm. for the mama, the preparing birthing parent who's listening, uh, who can take what you're sharing and be on the other side of that and think of that when they are connecting with their birth workers or choosing their care providers or, or whatnot, that, you know, these are some of the things you might want to look for in a provider that could, um, be these things for you that could be accessible, that could be inclusive, that can create that safe space for you. So uh, which from whichever perspective you share it, I feel like both sides get to win from hearing what the optimal setup is. Yeah. And it's as simple as making, you know, small tweaks to your intake forms. Mm. So where, where you would have, I don't know, some, some clinics have, you know, legal name, maybe you would have preferred name. Mm. Um, preferred pronoun if you only have you know which gender are you male female um what is your uh, uh, what's your marital status like right. those kinds of things 
you just have to be very, um, very aware of the privilege that you're bringing when you um, give your client and patient a form that might not fit well for them. Mm -hmm. And so when you're talking about the birth person and their families, knowing and remembering that these birth workers are working for you and with you, but also for you. Mm -hmm. And so you have so much, you, you should feel safe to be able to say, this doesn't fit with me. I'm not happy with this. Um, I would like to know what training and education you have on this topic um, and not be afraid to just kind of let them do what they need to do mm -hmm. or what they think they need to do. Yeah. From your perspective to kind of switch gears, but not too much for a second, um, as a psychotherapist and specifically working within, you know, the perinatal mental health community, in your observation of either differences or similarities from the states and Canada, are there any themes or patterns or anything you observe from where you sit that you know, may not be good or bad, but just are in terms of what you're seeing? Because I realize I don't, I wouldn't have much reference point or anything to speak on in terms of any comparison of the two, but I'm sure there are some. So I was just curious if you had any observations or anything you could share. Um, one observation that I have seen, and it, it's mostly been through social media, mm -hmm. and so that's why I'm thankful, is that there are seem to be, in my opinion, and again, like I said, social media filters, yeah. you know, what you see and how much you see it. Um, but I've noticed that home births in general seem to be more popular in the States than in Canada. And again, this is just an observation. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that has to do with the way the healthcare system is set up. Um, I'm not really sure, but I feel like there's just more conversations of empowerment, home birthing mm. that's happening in the States. And I would really love to change that narrative here in Canada. Mm. Gotcha. Very And all the people that are in Canada that are listening and saying that's not accurate. There are lots of home births. I understand that there's yeah. lots of home births. It's just from um, a social media perspective, there are a ton of home birth type pages on social media that are very, very, um, uh, that are advocating very hard for home birth. And I just don't see as much of that in Canada. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. That's interesting, yeah. right? And the other piece to it is um, that I've noticed too, is the prevalence of, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders in the States seems to be a little bit higher than mm. in Canada. And I'm curious if that has to do with um, the lack of financial support during a parental or maternity leave type mm. thing. So here in Canada, we have 18 months with our jobs protected and 12 months paid. Wow. Um, at 33, at, sorry, at 55% of our income, I believe. Uh -huh. um, and from what I understand, in the States, there's no payment, but your job security is there for three months. Yeah, in in some, I, I would take a leap to say that's not across the board. And it's my understanding 
that there is no national standard for mm-hmm. any of these things. So it's all from from my um standpoint bit it's like subject to vary depending on what industry you're in who you know all of that Mm -hmm. yeah so some of these birth workers um, are going to be exposed to symptoms of a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder potentially much more quickly with clients in the states potentially um, because of this you know financial struggle that they would be having and and need to go back to work. I'm just assuming financial struggle. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I made that assumption, but just this kind of like lack of support during this very vulnerable time. Um, And for those of us here in Canada who have the the fallback of the EI, um, I'm sure that the birth workers, once they're kind of done with the actual birth, if they're not sticking around postpartum, I'm thinking of postpartum um, doulas, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, they might not notice as much. Right. And that, that leave, is that for both parents? So you can choose. So the family gets to split the um, 12 month. So whether the mom takes six and partner takes six, mm-hmm. it's up to them. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's just wild. And I think just speaks volumes to, you know, what we can grow into as a culture. I'm not even going to look at it from the perspective of being irate because that creates nothing from where I sit, but just (laughs) how much room then we have to grow that when you said that the 18 months and then the 12 months paid, like I got goosebumps when you said that. And I think that just really speaks to the, the depth of, again, I'll say our opportunity to grow into, um, yeah, (laughs) all of that totally but I hear you okay so let's see what else can we look at from the perspective of you know you mentioned home birth so let's kind of go down the home birth route for a minute in that um how as a home birthing parent or family can you set up for yourself this really optimal environment um, in terms of preparation from the care providers that you have around you um, to really have it be a, a win for everyone and that you're you're really set up and supported from the perspective of um, someone who can be, you know, those things we mentioned, accessible, um, inclusive, create that safe space. So one of the things that I um, do with my clients is <clears throat> instead of a birth plan, we do like a perinatal plan, okay. which includes part of the birth plan, but it also includes a list of support people for after the birth, um, whether that's a lactation consultant, a postpartum doula. Um, we even talk about dental surgeons who perform phrenectomies if there's a lip and tongue tie, uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, making sure that your therapist is aware of um, when your due date is just so that they they can have it in their calendar and kind of know if they can't access you that you're, you may be in labor um, and also understand that if there has been trauma, you might need to access them within like a week or two. So just 
just to be aware of that kind of situation. Um, so just kind of having a plan for like troubleshooting and, and the support around you and also kind of going into the relationship with all of your birth workers, like almost like a dating mm. type. Yeah. Type like, <laughs> what are my expectations of this relationship? What are your expectations of this relationship? What feels good? What doesn't feel good? Um, what are some red flags for me? So I've had clients come in and say, no, I really was this, this one birth worker was highly recommended. And, um, you know, she has so, so many followers on Instagram and blah, blah, blah. And she looks so professional. Uh, but the one thing that I really struggled with was even though I corrected her in our, you know, conversation um, with her use of pronouns, mm. she just continued to um, use the wrong pronoun. And, and I, when I continued to correct her, it was more of like a, like a laughing it off type situation. Mm. Um, so there was this internal struggle of do I use her because um, she's highly recommended and she's great at her job and then just kind of swallow the fact that she's not respecting the pronoun that I wish her to use. Mm-hmm. Um, or do I say, you know, that's a huge factor in my willingness to work with somebody and find somebody else. Mm. So kind of knowing what your non-negotiables are with a birth worker is extremely important. Yeah, I agree. Have those standards, you know, and be be clear with yourself. And uh, gosh, just the whole process of becoming a parent and preparing for birth and beyond really calls you to examine yourself in ways that you may never have before or to uncover and, and look at things for yourself and, you know, to whether it's own your voice in a more solid way or uh, just speaking your your expectations and intentions more clearly. It's just it's really amazing how it is one of the most intensive you know personal growth seasons and opportunities for your life that this tiny human or humans provide you with. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and it's so interesting too because um, I just have I just had a networking meeting. Uh, a networking evening and um, I just met a new doula and she's so amazing and part of her package includes um, a massage that she can arrange for you and a couple um, yoga sessions with baby um, and then potentially like another type of experience and I thought that was so smart Mm. to just kind of include that into her package and if you know the parent chooses to use it or not that's up to them Um, but to say like I'm making these opportunities to you know take time away from the home a priority for you because I understand that it can feel extremely overwhelming and your identity can get very lost and especially in those early stages of new parenthood. Mm. Um, so I think when birth workers set themselves apart to say, I'm here for you, I am very client centered. Um, there is no cookie cutter approach to any client that you work with. I think that says a whole heck of a lot. Mm. Yeah, for sure. That's, (laughs) that's, yes. Um, you, 
mentioned briefly uh, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Um, yeah, you know, particularly in how you see them. I think you know you could put Western society, Western culture as a whole, that being a very big conversation. What what specifically are some perinatal mood and anxiety disorders? Is that the umbrella, and then there are subsets within that? You know, help me understand that. Yeah, so peri, uh, perinatal, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, so uh, or PMD, <clears throat> perinatal mood disorders. Okay. <clears throat> uh, can be uh, depression or anxiety, so prenatal depression or anxiety, um, major postpartum depression, uh, postpartum anxiety or panic attacks, mm. PTS, like so typically the um, like a post-traumatic stress response. So instead of saying PTSD, mm-hmm. we've moved away from kind of saying the disorder and referring to it more as a response. So post-traumatic stress response um, or post-traumatic stress, uh, perinatal OCD, mm. there's bi- bipolar disorders and the difference between um, like a bipolar or a psychosis that happens um during the perinatal period is the onset. Mm. So if you've been diagnosed with bipolar psychosis before um, having uh, being becoming pregnant or before giving birth, then that was um, a diagnosis that's that's something that you've experienced in the past. But if you haven't, and the onset has been as a result of becoming pregnant or uh, postpartum, then that would be considered um, a perinatal mood disorder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so typically we hear people say like postpartum depression and mm-hmm. it's, and it's used as that umbrella term, but, um, we're hearing more people talk about postpartum rage now, um, postpartum anxiety now, postpartum OCD. And so the conversation is happening, which I'm really excited about. Yes, I, I agree. And to just see that the variations to it all. And then of course, everyone's experience is unique and yet that they can all be valued and honored and looked into and talked about. Um, Cause yeah, I would have never until becoming a mother and until like you said, some of it's been talked about more recently. I didn't even know postpartum rage or anything even resembling that would be a thing. Like if anything, you know, before becoming a mother and all that, you just don't hear about that. It's just, maybe you get sad and that that's it. And of course, you know, maybe it's some, uh, maybe like gender sex stereotypes in there that it would just make more sense for a woman to lean onto the sad, right. Than to get super angry, I guess like a more masculine trait or something like that. But I personally would identify way more with, with rage things popping up for me in the postpartum than, than depression, not saying I haven't had low moments, but I guess, you know, I experienced clinical depression in my teen years and for, you know, almost a decade there. So I, it, I guess it's like I, I knew what that was. And now moving forward into this experience, it's like, no, this is, as I would call it, hot boiling rage. Like hot boiling mm-hmm. mom rage is how I would, you know, classify and identify with some of those those moments. Um, I'm curious your perspective on – because this is something I look at and grapple with within myself when I'm experiencing anything, right? And we want to put meaning to things. We like to put labels to things because it helps us. It helps us identify and put – you know, wrap our minds around it. But then when it comes to mental health and wellness and in this experience of becoming a mother, becoming a parent – 
Um, where is that balance of it's helpful to identify what it is, right, and put a finger on it. So maybe it is, you know, the PTS. But then I think sometimes, and I can just speak to my own personal journey of clinical depression, I clung to that diagnosis as like a label of myself and that I was Mm. this thing. So I'm just curious because I'm sure there are mamas grappling with this themselves, whether they have a diagnosis or they have tendencies. Where is that balance of, yes, it's helpful to identify, but that doesn't mean you are that. Does that make any sense? Yeah, and I think it's uh, I think it comes down to personal preference. Yeah, so there are a handful of people out there who very much like a label because yeah. it gives them a very clear plan of treatment. Um, and then there are people who really feel um, stifled by a label. They don't want their label to follow them around in life. Maybe it will affect you know, the way other professionals see them if they are a professional in the community. Um, So I think it's all about preference. But with any diagnosis, you know, exactly what you said, you are not your diagnosis. And it it could be the difference of um, choosing how you use language. So when we talk about things like disorders and disease and illness, it just feels really permanent. Um, So, for example, when I was talking about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, like, hey, I have a disorder, that that feels really heavy. But if you say, I have a stress response, it kind of says that I trust my body in that it knows what it's doing. It might not be helpful right now. So, you know, um, my fearing, my fear of going out to the mall and being surrounded by a bunch of people, um, that triggers my stress response, but my body's just doing what it needs to do to protect itself itself. So it's responding to stress. differently. Mm. And so I think that when you find, uh, uh, some language that fits better for you, mm. then you can become your own advocate to talk about it differently. Yes. Yes. I love that. And what, when would you recommend if a parent is, wondering if it's time for them to talk to someone, if it's time to to look for their their resources um, to get that support, to get help. When would you say they do that? Um, so there, I mean, again, it, it can be really like, it can be really scary to think about reaching out for help, yeah. especially in a culture where we've just kind of begun to isolate ourselves and we have lost our village. Um, and so I always say, you know, even when, even when things feel like they're functioning pretty well, it's always good just to check in with a professional, whether that's like a birth coach or um, a therapist or a doctor, or if you're using a midwife, a midwife, just to kind of say like, um, am I at risk? Are there red flags? So your primary healthcare providers should have this information. They should know if you are, um, if you've had past experiences that would um, kind of become an issue postpartum. Mm -hmm. Um, if you have had past pregnancy or infant loss, 
that would definitely um, be a reason to reach out to somebody. If you've um, struggled with suicide or psychosis in the past or bipolar disorder in the past that, or depression or anxiety in the past, um, if you've had any stressful events in your life come up while you were pregnant or trying to conceive, um, it might be a good idea to check in with someone. Um, if you had your child uh, and there has been a reason for you to wean really quickly, you might want to begin to start checking in with someone because uh, you might have passed that period um, of baby blues and thought, you know, I'm in the clear two or three weeks have passed. I don't have to worry about baby, baby blues, but postpartum mood and anxiety disorders can pop up anywhere within the first year. Mm. So if you wean, say, for example, at the three month mark, um, your chances of experiencing some kind of mood disorder are going to increase with the hormonal changes. If you um, get back on birth control, you might feel that there's something happening for you hormonally that's affecting your mood. If you're returning to work, that could greatly impact your um, stress levels. If there's been illness or hospitalization in your life, um, so there there are definitely if you've um, felt like you've been sleep deprived, like sleep deprivation is not the number one thing that is um, an indicator of struggle. So if you don't have proper support uh, around helping you with your baby's sleep in terms of, and this is by no means am I talking about sleep training. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about you, you getting sleep. So whether that's like partner kind of takes over night feedings, if you've been pumping or you have uh, a night nurse or a postpartum doula to kind of come in and help with that, help you get some sleep during the day. If you're up during the night, that kind of thing. Um, if you're not, feeding your body the nutrients it needs to recover and adapt to these hormonal shifts, then you are going to see a decline in your mental health. Uh, And if you've been experiencing some interpersonal stresses in your relationship um, with your partner or perhaps your parents or your partner's parents, um, that's all going to impact your ability to cope with, um, any kind of mental health changes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is if you are even thinking about it, then, then explore it. Right. But I mean, that's kind of the rule of thumb. I would say then if you, you know, when do I know? Well, if you're thinking about it, if you're noodling on it, then it doesn't hurt to at least have a conversation to open that up. The therapists love it when um, a couple will come in and say, you know, we're just, we're just uh, doing our due diligence. We haven't had our child yet. We're not going through stress yet, but we want to, you know, have a couple sessions, create a rapport, get a relationship rolling, give you some background so that when something, if something does happen, we can kind of book a session and not have to work through all that initial, like, get to know your stuff. Oh, that's amazing. My heart swells when I think about that. That's so awesome. Just like when when we get messages or emails from listeners of, of doing it at home who are, as they refer to themselves, non-moms, you know, or soon-to-be moms, not even at 
trying to conceive yet, but just exploring their options, informing themselves. I just, oh, I beam when I get those messages. I'm like, this is so amazing. Um, yeah, it is. Let's, before we wrap up here, Ashley, I'd like to turn to you for a moment um, to kind of round this out um, from the home birth, you know, community and perspective. You yourself are thinking about home birth for yourself, for your, um, any future children, because you already have your son Silas. Um, but I mean, in the future, mm-hmm. you've, you've thought about that as a possibility and you thought about it for your first, would you mind just sharing what about that resonates with you personally or why you feel that would be, um, conducive in your birthing experience? Yeah. So, um, I didn't know much about home birth the first time around. Um, and with having family members that worked in the hospital setting, mm. specifically um, in the OB realm, it was kind of not really seen as an option even for me. And so we did live rurally, which was the other fear um, is that if something were to happen, how quickly could you get to a hospital type thing? Um so for me, I, I toyed with the idea of home birth, but I just wasn't educated enough the first time around. And so there was so much fear um, and I just didn't really want to venture down that route. But so I thought in my head, as long as I had a, a midwife that I could feel like I had the undivided attention of and that would follow up with me after the birth and kind of felt like a safety net in case anything happened. Um, I was happy. So I experienced, um, sig- in, I experienced what I then after doing the perinatal training that I had understood to be birth trauma. Mm. And so for me, the birth trauma was really rooted in this, um, lack of autonomy, lack of bodily autonomy, really, uh, lack of feeling heard and understood, um, lots of fear-based language. And so the idea of a home birth now kind of protects me from that um, in that it's happening in my home. It's happening um, in an environment that I'm already feeling safe in um, with professionals that I've built up a relationship with. So not just, you know, somebody that has never even had an appointment with me Um, and this is the first time I'm seeing their face behind a mask in a sterile room type Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, so feeling more like it was on my terms and not feeling that, um, there was pressure to conform to any kind of social norm. Uh, that that's kind of like my goal and knowing that, you know, if, if the fear does come up that, you know, if something were to go wrong, what would you do? Well, where I am now and where I live now, I'm literally five minutes from the hospital. Um, I know since we've had the experience, I know that an ambulance can get here within a matter of three minutes. So all of those things just feel really right to me. Mm -hmm. And I am somebody who um, I just want to do it myself all the time. <laughs> and so when I see when I see these beautiful families um, holding their babies, pulling their babies, gently assisting their babies from their bodies, uh, there's so much about it where it's just like I want that. I want to say I 
held my own baby. I, I assisted my own baby during its birth. And I was the one who quote unquote caught the baby type thing. Um, that for me just feels so empowering and, um, it would be, it, it would be a lot to do with the do over from my first experience as well. And I just really want to have that polar opposite experience. But again, just knowing like, if I don't want the lights on, the lights go off. If I want the, if I want to do like, um, a water birth, then I can, you know, adjust the temperature. I can say I want hotter, hotter or colder or whatever the case may be. If I want my son with me in the room, experiencing all of that, then he can be, it's just less rules. Um, if there are rules, it's more my, on my terms, less worrying about policy. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I love that. Thank <laughs> you so much for sharing that. Cause I can count on the fact that there are mamas, birthing parents, families listening right now who are in that same boat and are like, yes, yes. Yes, you know, just like checking on each thing that you shared that you described. So I love that. And I really appreciate your personal, you know, sharing and, and perspective along with all the amazing gems that you dropped on us today and shared. Um, can you please, I'm going to put it in the show notes as well, but just in case someone is, yeah. you know, has their phone right now or wants to look you up, how can someone connect with you, learn more about you and follow you? So on Instagram, I am at mind, M-I-N-D, online therapy. Uh, on Facebook, I am, uh, no, mind online mental wellness. Great. Because mind online therapy was taken. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my, uh, my website is www.mindonline.ca. Great. Awesome. And my podcast is the social detox podcast. <laughs> I love it. And it's detox, right? As in conversations. Yes. I love yes. it. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. And I'm going to include a link to, like I said, all of that in the show notes for everyone to go check out and get in touch with you. Ashley, Mariani, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thanks for joining us on the doing it at home podcast. Thank you, Sarah. You're doing wonderful things. Quick note about the Doing It at Home podcast. Matthew and I are not doctors or medical professionals, and nothing we say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. If you have medical or health-related questions, please take them to a trained professional. We're here simply to entertain you with stories and conversations about pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved. Datages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgle. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Datages. That's D A D A G E S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.